Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, stocks feeling the heat today, but don't worry. Canaccord's Tony Dwyer is here, and he says new highs are coming, but don't buy just yet. He will explain. Plus, Twitter tanking nearly 10% as it changes the way it measures its user base. We'll tell you what has Wall Street so worried about the social distortion. But first, do you feel that? What? What was that? Trade tremors sweeping across Wall Street as President Trump says that he will not meet with President Xi ahead of the March 1st trade deadline. The Dow sinking nearly 400 points at the lows and Nasdaq getting hit the hardest, falling back into a correction. And this as the S&P battles against a key level, the 200-day moving average. So is this a sign the trade deal is not a done deal? Is there more trouble ahead? Guys? Yeah, well, I, listen, I've, I've been thinking the market's going to sell off now for the last three weeks or so, incorrectly. But I'll say this, 2710 in the S&P, Steve can speak it. That's a big level for me. Yes, we traded through it to the upside by a couple handles. Not a big deal. We're below it now. I think we roll over here. In terms of the trade deal, again, you know, I think everybody seems to think when President Trump is ready to make a deal, there's a deal to be made. I'm not certain that's the case. Again, I think the Chinese have far more resolve, and we'll see what happens. But to answer your question, yes, I think there's more pain ahead. I agree with Guy. I think there's more pain ahead. And, and like Guy, I've been calling for a retracement uh, for much of the time. So I've been surprised for about the last 6%. I thought that we would rally 10% off that drastic low that we saw before Christmas. But right now, it, it still is about China. But I think they want to make a deal. It's just not going to come in time for the market. Well, look, uh, you know, we heard about Europe uh, we, we've, we've heard from all the people that are looking at positioning in the market. Um, Guy, you're a Billy Joel fan. Huge. He's got a terrible song called, uh, I Don't Know Why I Go to Extremes. And that's exactly what this market has been. Basically, we were so oversold by the end of December, and we were so overbought two days ago, it's not surprising that we, sell, we pull back. The, the good news, folks, is you had Fed Kaplan out today basically saying, we're going to let this economy run as hot as we need to. He, he basically was pouring any water on any type of a hawkish Fed anytime soon. In other words, good news for equities. I still think the Fed is the most important dynamic. It's just amazing to me we wake up today and we worry about Europe when I think right. we should have been worried about Europe for the last two years. You know, it's funny because when the trade headlines cross, you know, that's when we saw the market really react. But at the same time, we saw the reaction. You pointed this on the conference call uh, in in areas that do not have any exposure to China. Yeah. This just seemed like a, a risk-off kind of move entirely, not just the notion that, oh, these stocks are most exposed to China, and therefore we're selling those stocks. Yeah, I mean, we were talking a little bit about you know, some of the MAGA names mm-hmm. that, that don't really have a ton of exposure. Which X, are, Microsoft, not, yeah. Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon. Very I mean, but, but here's the thing. It's, it's really the Google and the Amazon, and I think what's really important is that there were things not to like in their quarters in the last week, um, but they didn't trade so badly. Today, when the market didn't have a great feel to it, they went down 3% in a straight 
straight line. And that just kind of tells you that this move off the bottom was pretty extreme. There was a lot of actually bad news that was discounted in. Um, I'll just mention this. You know, this is the thing. and We've been talking about it on the desk for a couple weeks now. There's been stuff that's just kind of overshooting the upside, much like they overshot to the downside last month. But the stalling out in the bank stocks since they reported earnings, look at what crude oil has done over the last couple weeks. It's stalled out at a level where it broke down in late November. And then I got to tell you, I just don't like the 10-year Treasury yield at 266. It just, it looks horrible. It looks to me like it's got another leg lower. And when I see those very economically cyclical, um, you know, uh, exposed the, the banks and oil, and then you see that, I just don't like it. I so just, just think about what you, what you said there. So the inverted yield curve that everyone was worried about, you're not getting a steepening. At least now you're not getting a steepening. Not good for the banks. What about the dollar if we have a trade deal? It's going, to be, it's going to rally. I would assume it would rally. That's bad for oil. So you have a lot of these correlations that are on and off again. And it seems to me that the market wants to go lower, but everyone is so underbought because of that uh, sell-off that we had. You had a short covering rally. I, again, I, I just think all we're doing is we're correcting from overbought conditions. I'm not telling you that the world's a better place. I think, first of all, the Over-sold. differential... Okay, yeah, an oversold place. You know, the bottom line here is, first of all, as it relates to banks, twos, tens, yield curve steepness or lack thereof is something we've we've basically been in the same place since July. Okay, banks are not trading on the yield curve right now. Um, In terms of oil, I actually would argue that oil is trading pretty well. And I think it traded hard down to, if you look at Brent or or WTI, whichever you follow, this level on crude to me, somewhere around 61, 62, um, I think is decent. I think there's support for oil. I think energy stocks, which are basically the most shorted they've ever been in their history, look kind of interesting here. So, you know, I I think there's there's two sides to this. To me, I I just think while the rest of the world, differentials to the U.S. don't look great. um, The U.S. is not going into recession tomorrow. It's very clear to me, despite the fact that Germany is telling you they may be, and, and I think that's what the market did today. So is the bottom line that the U.S. is the ble- best place to be, or is there a notion in the market? And you are not here for this, so it'll be interesting to get your fresh take hmm. on what Joe Zidel told us, told us yesterday, and that is Jay-Z. we're seeing central banks around the world move towards Jay-Z. easing in a much more sizable way, especially as growth forecasts have come down. Steve Leisman had a great chart uh, to show this to earlier today, basically where all the central banks stand and where they have changed in terms of their stance. Even just recently, the RBA, Reserve Bank of Australia, just changed. India just changed. Eurozone growth outlook got revised lower this morning. Maybe that's a good thing. For Easy money is a good thing. Great Rodney Dangerfield movie, too, by the way. It's a lousy... Actually, there are very few good Rodney Dangerfield movies, if you really want to know the truth. The fact that we're spending this much time on Rodney Dangerfield movies is really disturbing. He gets no respect. Back to central banks easing around the world. That has been a catalyst for markets to go higher, Mm -hmm. without question. By the way, and not to get off track, but I think that's one of the reasons we should still be doing what we're doing. We should still be moving forward because... Because as everybody weakens their currency, we have an opportunity to strengthen our foundation and to strengthen our currency. I digress for a second. I think at a certain point, the, 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 you're going to hit a point of minimum marginal returns in terms of central bank activity. I think we're pretty close now. You can only go to that well so many times before the market starts to call you, and I think we're just about yeah, there. But so let's go back to mega cap tech, the ones that do have international What a surprise. No, so I'm, weird. Well, mega cap, not mega no, but, but this, is brought, this has been brought up. <laughs> I thought you said mega so cap. A strengthening, dollar, a, a strengthening dollar versus also a globe global growth that's weakening is actually going to be very bad for yeah. mega cap tech. It's just Where do you think really the dollar's bad. going, though, Dan? I mean, I, how does well, the dollar I, well, run away from us? It's actually trading really the, well, hasn't with, it, for a while? I think, I think the dollar also has basically gone 
one and a half percent in the last five sessions after also doing nothing know, but for the last six we months. Just talk, you know, yeah, but just on a relative basis. The rate differential, you look at all the negative yields, all the right. sovereign debt, the all feds, over the, the Fed's on hold. For, people are saying I, the Fed's going to cut. You think the dollar's going to rally into this? The, there's no way. It could rally, um, the, it could rally just, just in, in relationship to the rest. In terms of the weakening of the other right. currencies around the world. It could rally just in relationship to the rest of the world. And, by the way, I think it's a big mistake. It's a big mistake to count the Fed out for 2019. I think that the market has overestimated the dovishness in the Fed. They're still performing QT, and there's still a chance that they hike. So then how is growth so bad if we're underestimating the Fed's resolve to actually chase what could be inflationary dynamics in the economy, which seems to be growing? In other words, you can't have it both ways. If the Fed is in play, the economy is, is if anything, overheating, right? The Fed is still uh, it, performing QT, though. So they're still re- uh, removing liquidity from the market by the tune of, of $400 billion per year. Well, I don't, so I don't, they're, still at it. they're still at it. I, I don't know that people are thinking the Fed's going to do that. And if anything, part of the last rally for the market, probably the last 200 S&P points, was a view that Powell is also no longer robotic on $50 billion coming off the balance sheet. I, I, look, I think a Fed in neutral, and this goes back to Jay-Z, Mr. Zeidel, and what Melissa brought up about global central banks. I think taking... Uh, tightening out of central banks' arsenal right now in the short run means markets have a very good backstop. You, you know, I think you've when been you have off the show for a while. Welcome back, first of all. I've been all over right. the place. I know, I've, you know, and I watch you on airplanes and stuff. It's, yeah, it's, 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 you're not watching anything. A lot of fast anyway. money fans out there across the United States. Yes, Mel, you're going to ask me a question. What do uh, I think you about? You look like you had a comment in you. No, my <laughs> comment is, you know, when we come to an impasse at this point of the show, usually it's good to bring somebody in that can sort of bridge that divide. That can sort of cut through all the nonsense. A guy like Tony Dwyer would be perfect tonight. And he <laughs> might be able to really bridge both sides by the entry, by the uh, introduction that you gave him before. It might be interesting to also have a guest who is calling for new highs in 2019 because uh, we're a little bit skeptical here ah, on the best in general. It's refreshing to have the host of the so, show be able to do her host job. The show. Now, so please I know, exactly. Let's there. bring in Tony Dwyer, Category <laughs> Genuity. He does say that new highs are ahead for the year, but don't buy just yet. Why? You get a reflex rally off a, a non-recession crash. We got that. It's typically 13%. This one was 15%. It's taken a little bit longer to get up to that 15%. I'm really torn. I was just talking to Todd off air. I mean, there, there's a good case to be made for a bigger drop, and there's a great case to be made on the breadth thrust indicators for no retest. So I'm kind of in this no man's land where I don't think if anybody comes on set and tells you, oh, I, this is going to happen, I, I think they're making it up. There's too good a data on both sides. So where I fall out, Mel, and where I go to the new high category is I, I'm, on Tim's, I'm in Tim's camp. The Fed made a change and the change was that they went neutral and i as you guys know from when we did the show uh at the end of last year i think we're kind of in a 1995 analog you had a president in turmoil you had ter- 100% tariffs threatened against Japan. Japan was as, as big as China is today to today to global GDP. You had the Fed almost invert the curve at the end of December by bringing down the 210 to to 7 basis points. The Fed tightened on February 1st to 95. They eased July of 95, and again in wow. December of 95. You didn't go into a recession, and but they it were kick-started. Easing. They were easing. So you're assuming that they're... I'm, I'm making... You're, you're assuming yeah. that they flipped it, not the next only moves to neutral, cut. but they're cutting now. And I disagree with you. They're not neutral. The Fed funds rate minus the CPI, it's still positive. They're not neutral, and you still have QT. So Tim and I were just talking about it as you were introed. If they're still removing liquidity, that's not a done deal I, yet. I, see, I would disagree with you on that they're remo- removing liquidity. If excess balances are coming down 
at, on the balance sheet at the Fed by banks who are removing excess reserves at the same pace that the Fed is bringing down the balance sheet. There's no, I've not talked to a bank CEO or investor that has had a liquidity problem. So if you're removing liquidity, it's got to actually affect the liquidity. So I, I get that the QT is taking money out, but it's money that's not used and it's coming off the free reserve. But Tony, isn't it fair to say, though, that in late November and December, there was a lot of concerns about liquidity? Why would our Treasury Secretary be calling around financial institutions if Correct. there weren't? I mean, Because so, he didn't but, get it. I was but, talking but, to I know, banks. But risk happens fast. And, I was talking so, to a couple of bank CEOs, Dan, because yeah. I, I didn't get it. It's above my brain scale. Like, this whole thing's above my brain scale. So I went to guys that actually are interacting in the interbank market and have the reserves on the balance at the Fed. And they didn't get it either. Like, they literally don't understand. So it became a market event. And that's where I was really so torn at the end of the year. what going to happen, though, in the next few months? We're going to have a forced merger of Deutsche Bank with some other German entity. How that's do you good think news. Global, well, is it good news? Yeah. I, I mean, because, I just don't know. Because, because that's been a problem. That's been a problem. Okay, it takes, we, takes we Deutsche Bank risk out of the It keeps in, the ECB But nobody backed up Lehman. But nobody backed them up. When Bear Stearns was put together with J.P. Morgan, that was an amazing thing. It rallied a lot. So let's throw a little balance in here. Let's try this, right? You cannot say at the beginning of 2018, which we did a show on. You cannot say that all the data globally is so good we're in a global synchronized recovery that it can't get better so you should sell stocks. And then you can't come into this year and say, wow, the PMIs are so horrific that you got to sell stocks. Like, so what you just said when you were introduced, though, you said that there's a, there's a case to be made for testing the lows. For, What's for the case? pulling back. I think the case to, that you've always done that in a non-recession crash, and you're straight up 15%. So, so maybe it's not a, I don't think it's going to be retested low, honestly. You I think, think we're just going to pull back a little bit to maybe to 26. What's that? You said 3% downside. Yeah, 3 to 5% downside. You could, and you could do that tomorrow. Right, so my whole case is if you think you're going to get a new high in 2019, that's like no downside, really. I mean, calling for three percent downside from these okay, levels. Okay, so that sounds so silly, right? Right? two percent. Here's why you do yeah. it: because down three percent, guys like me are famous for coming on TV. All corrections are natural, normal, and healthy. I'll buy it when they happen, and we're full of it. You get down five percent, and all of a sudden you're running for saying, the hills because you got it, except for <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly, except for the Just fast kidding. money team. Just kidding. You know, but. We're full of it. We think that we're going to say, okay, we'll buy the weakness. How many people were really buying a whoosh thinking that, okay, we're not going into recession? I am highly convicted, as you guys know, we're not going into recession. You don't have an inversion of the yield curve, and it's typically three to four years from the date you peak the ISM and the NFIB small business optimism index until you get into a recession. So, Is there risk in the market, the Fed raising rates, in your view, or in the back half of the year? Or is the Fed raising rates in the back half of, half of the year really signal that the economy is fine? No, I think, it's a, I, I think you've got to have a Fed rate cut. If you're in a 1995 a analog, yeah, I think you've got to have a Fed rate cut sometime this year. You're getting weak data in Germany. You're getting weak data in China after so some aggressive So you think aggressive we're going to bring in weakness from elsewhere? I think we've already had. We're in it. How do you know? We don't even know because we don't have the government data. It was closed, right? So the da- some of the data that we've had is starting to weaken up. And you can't trust the employment report. You had 100,000 job revision in the month before. So is the call for new highs based on easy Easy money in the United States? It's an easy money globally. It, you go so, from this so then, tightening okay, cycle. Okay, so you're in that camp. You're in that Jay-Z camp. Mm. Joe's Idol, in yeah. case you guys tuning in and, are wondering. Jay-Z is not making a call. Joe's and Idol. we're not talking about a Rodney Dangerfield um, movie. Look at it this it, way. It, should be, it doesn't it mean you go into a bear are, market if you don't cut, Mel. But does it mean that we're going into, it, uh, I don't want to say a bull market because we're not going to flip the switch like that. We're but in, in an environment, if you believe that that easy money is the key to a stock rally of some sort, it'll bring the S&P 500 to new highs. Does the same apply to markets around the world? It does. And you're already starting. Here's an interesting thing. So global synchronized weakening it's already indicates a buy signal 
for global stocks? So what's the data to support that? If you look at the global PMI here over your change, they're actually where they were. They're below where they were in 2016 at the low, and they're near where they were in 2011. The Citigroup Economic Surprise Index for the G10 or the major economies is actually inflecting and starting to turn higher. So you actually have green shoots showing that as bad as the data was in Germany, that you could actually turn a little bit. How about that? That's a sweet old term. That's like a 2008 term. Using your tie. Green shoots. (laughs) You wore it in honor of. Okay, so so you actually are having early signs of that. And if you add. But in the U.S., because the, the 2.10 spread is so flat, you need to bring the two down. You need to re-steepen the curve, right. may, maybe back to 30, 40, 50 basis points. Okay. That can kind of kickstart a little bit of a refi uh, right. activity. Tony, great to see you. Thank you. Great. Tony Thanks, Dwyer, Thanks for having Ingenuity. me, guys. Good thing we had Tony just, I was, right, just I was, ready to go. I mean, just when we needed him. Grasso, what do you make of Tony's call? I, I don't know. He, I love Tony. Covered all his bases. But? He covered all his bases. Uh-huh. I think if we if we uh, sell off a little bit, that sounds he's like still covered. Oh, and wow. If, you're we, saying that he's just CYA. That's kind of like one of those, with all due respect, God bless his soul kind of comments. I love him. And I'm saying it pretty much right to his face, but I think that he definitely covered all his bases. I'm looking for. He's running out of here. I'm looking for weakening of the of the markets. For everything okay. that Tony said, put it up to the mirror, and I think that'll be the right answer. That's a pretty it, harsh assessment like of a guest who's still in the house. I thought I mean, you could find like, the guest. I did. But now he's coming back. I, I have he's no control leaving. over what he, he does. I'm coming off. I didn't hit anybody. I'm, I'm sitting my out of my own business. Here. You guys, well, you you know, guys want to take this outside? going to pull back a little bit. Hit, hit no. new highs later on. If you don't expect a pullback, you will not be able to buy that. Never done this. I love this. You got it. We, we come on and we say we're going to correct. And it's not, it's not a hedge. If you don't expect that the market can correct, you get scared when it If does. the United States is so strong and your whole thesis is, is weighing on the fact that the Fed is going to be cutting rates, I don't think that's. I stands. didn't say so strong. I said the U.S. economy is. You said we're nowhere near recession. The res- no, we're nowhere you near have to have an inverted. All right. From a time. So you, the data yep. points are not weakening. That's not right. The data points are weakening. They are weakening, but not to the point of recession. 1995, you went to 0.5% GDP growth in the first quarter and second quarter of 1995. You were putting 100% tariffs on the 13 top-selling Japanese cars. 100%. They were as big as China is today, market up 35%. Why? Fed eased in July, and then they eased again in December, and it kick-started a lending cycle. Guys, the market rallied 15% after falling 14%. We've had extreme moves. The U.S. economy is not falling apart overnight. Bottom line is we went yeah, from 13 and a half on forward earnings on the S&P in the end of December. We're now back up to 16, which is where we started all this. The earnings have been fine. Uh, we all know the, the rest of the world is equal as weakening. Earnings are going to be flat and on a forward-looking basis, and we're paying 17 times that. That's a little too aggressive for zero earnings growth. 2016, you paid 18 and a half time with negative earnings growth. Oh, good times. Boom. <laughs> All right. Boom. But I'm, sa- big Boom. I'm gonna say goodbye for now. Real. Get out of here. Now get out of here. Tony. I've had enough of you. Take his mic off, by the way. Turn it off. That's a fast money first. Fast money history. I love that. Right the walk here. into the, the crowd and then you come back and coming oh, up. Exciting. Check out shares of Expedia soaring after earnings report. And you will not believe what Dan here is saying about the travel stock now. Plus. More metrics, more problems. Twitter is tanking after changing up how it measures its user base. We'll explain why it could be losing the social showdown. And later, Democrats are descending on Wall Street. The latest proposal coming out of Capitol Hill could have you paying up to make money in the market. We've got the details. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? 
Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Twitter down about 10% today after reporting earnings this morning. The social stock feeling the heat as it switches up the way it reports some of its key user metrics. The move follows Apple no longer reporting iPhone unit sales and Facebook, which will report user activity across all its platforms like WhatsApp and Instagram as an aggregate from now on. And even Netflix, which changed how it counts subscribers. Now, Twitter will now focus on its monetizable daily active users. While the company claims the number isn't directly comparable to other social media platforms, it comes on in dead last. Facebook, the undisputed champ here, 1.5 billion users a day. Um, is this really a problem? I, I don't think it's a problem. I mean, yeah. listen, you know, I think Jack has a certain clarity of mind right now, the way he's talking about their business. And I think that that's a metric that I think will help advertisers get comfortable around the fact that they are one-tenth the size of Facebook's audience. And that number is growing. So they should focus on that. I think the big thing with the stock right here is that very similar to what we saw in some of these other, uh, we saw it in Google and we saw it in Amazon. We see decelerating revenue growth and we see costs going up. We see expenses yeah. going up. And that's what hit the stock. I'll just make one point. I listened to that conference call this morning and Jack said a couple things I thought were interesting. He's used the word local a little bit. I was thinking back to Spotify, how they just made this acquisition of Gimlet, okay, mm-hmm. this week. The it's podcast. a podcasting mm-hmm. network. It's a small business. They paid $200 million, but it's growing really fast. When you have a decelerating top line, you look for businesses that are growing fast. And I I'm thinking about what is Twitter going to buy? And then I was like, you know what? Remember his old CFO from Square? Yeah. She went to go run next door. Mm-hmm. He said local. Think? She's Sarah Fryer. She's talking about the power of local. These are things that I think we're going to see some of these social companies expand out and make some acquisitions, some tuck-ins uh, like that to kind of get some faster growing businesses. We may see that this year. By the way, we see you, all these mega M- unicorns M- go public. should have uh, never been the metrics in the stock because you don't even have to be logged in to, to uh, show up on the radar with Twitter. So you could be looking at them, you could Google anything, and you see someone's tweet pop up, you're not logged into your account, you're not logged into Google when you're doing a Google search, right? So I think the MAUs were always wrong. I like the uptick in daily actor users. I I like that. I don't disagree with uh, with Dan. He was on a roll there. That was tremendous. I'm still an owner of Twitter, but it's disturbing how they are in your intro. They are dead last when you look at this. and That's not the way to gauge them. But, But the way they're moving towards, as opposed to just daily active users, they're focusing specifically on monetizable daily active users. And I was confused when the when the Twitter earnings came across and this was being reported. I asked you, I was like, why? Why monetizable daily act? And that's because if you used, I didn't know this. If you use TweetDeck, you're, you're not going to see the ads. So they're really focusing. They're really giving well, they're, you a they're, picture they're of the, feeding it to advertisers. Exactly. Yeah. This, this is exactly what you guys can go to the bank I would on. Think this and, is by, good. and by the way, th- so they're growing nine percent, and they're down a little bit from the numbers we've been getting, which have been slow, low double digits. But you know, EBITDA grew 
about 14%. Revenues top line grew 24%. People think these are bad numbers. These numbers were fine. And, and to think to even compare Twitter and Facebook in anywhere near in terms of the size and the scale of these but, platforms. But hold on, totally Tim. I, I just don't, you know, so, so sales grew 25% last year. They're expected to go 13% this year. That DAU or that DAU number is actually smaller than snaps. Okay, so so I think you on have the to percentage put, terms are in absolute terms. In absolute terms, well, it's a smaller property. That, that doesn't and mean anything to well, me. It, well, it does mean something to advertisers when they're looking for an engaged audience, that sort of thing. So I, I'm just saying these are the reasons. I'm, we're talking about why the stock's down 10%. Yeah. It's down 10% for the same reason. But we knew yesterday that Snap's audience was bigger. I mean, look, the bottom line is, how are they relative to and themselves? And Twitter was 10% higher. Obviously, Dan. Yeah. And they also were talking about a metric change, and that really is what's disturbing people. And the bigger question is, why are social media companies and other tech companies doing this? And the bottom line is that Twitter thinks they're delivering a more relevant, appropriate metric to advertisers who I think have to be feeling pretty good about advertising on Twitter. OPEX being bigger for this year. Is, is I, I'm really in agreement with you. I don't, think don't that's why, I don't think that's why the stock Wagging is down. I think it's an operating expense has gone up. It's such anger considering how much you agree, actually. <laughs> I miss, I miss it's, don't like each other, It's really. like, it's <laughs> like no matter what you guys say, you're going to argue about it. we didn't get the split screen. Guy, please. Ad engagement's up 33%. Margins, 43.5%. The street was looking for 40%. I'm with Steve. I've said it for a while. I thought Twitter made a huge mistake. Google doesn't talk about monthly average users. I never thought Twitter should have as well. I think it was painful for them to do it, but I think they'll reap the rewards having done that. I happen to think one of the reasons the stock is down as much as it is on top of getting away from that metric because first quarter guidance wasn't great. And the stock is now banged up against $35.5 three times over the last basically 12 to 13 months. That's been a problem. But I think down percent here, I think you buy it again. Yeah, I just want to make one quick point. This is a company that has $6 billion in cash, three net of debt. I think they should be making small tuck-in acquisitions. I don't think they should be spending the whole nut on something big. But those are the sort of incremental things that you can see revenue growth accelerate again. All right. For more on Twitter in the social showdown, head on over to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. Yeah, so do we. And one technician will tell you exactly which names to buy in the financial sector to make sure you're bringing home the big bucks. Plus, Kid, are you ready for the wild ride? It's been a wild ride for General Motors this year as shares are soaring. And one trader is betting this is just the beginning of an even bigger run. There's much more Fast Money right after this. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You should. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Regional banks on the rise today following the $66 billion merger of BB&T and SunTrust, the biggest bank merger in a decade. Bob Pisani is at the NYSE with all the details. Hi, Bob. Hello, Melissa. You know, the good news is this. M&A may finally be picking up in the banks. Here's the bad news. The premium offered for this merger is pretty small, and there's a good reason for that. Growth is really tough to come by in the crowded banking industry. So we have low rates. They're making it difficult to grow interest income. We have loan growth that's also been very modest, even with a strong economy. Here's a final problem. The banks have been struggling for deposit growth, partly because the Fed has been shrinking its balance sheet. You know, remember, these banks, they're on the other side of that balance sheet equation. So the banks are also facing enormous costs associated with going digital. The cost of moving to digital platforms is enormous. But once you make the investment, the good news is it's all scalable. So those who can be, get bigger and who can offer more differentiated products are going to win out. Those who are not will offer generic products with very little competitive advantage. They're going to be takeover targets. That's why M&A makes sense for these banks. You have to spend to scale up the technology to go digital. But once you have scale, you can be more efficient and then you can cut costs. In the case of BB&T and SunTrust, it helps, by the way, that there is a significant footprint overlap. Both are very heavily concentrated in the Mid-Atlantic and the Southeast regions. That makes it easier to get that synergy. The hope for M&A activity is one reason the largest regional banks have outperformed this year. The regional bank ETF is up 17% this year, but the financial ETF is only up half of that. Why? Well, another factor in regional bank outperformance is the financial ETF also includes broker dealers and asset managers. They're all engaged in massive fee wars. They've got problems of their own, as well as insurance companies. They're also underperforming this year. Back to you, Melissa. Great breakdown. Thank you, Bob. Bob Pisani at the NYSC. Um, so let's let's trade this. We did see, as Bob had mentioned, a big ramp in these banks. In today's session, though, there are some banks that really stood out. Comerica, MTB, um, those banks were up more than 3% each. Because I think what the market is saying, maybe I'm off base here, but I think the market is saying, you know what, this is the first of now many deals that have to happen. Well, what does U.S. Bank Corp have to do, if anything, PNC? For, there are a number of banks that maybe get forced to make a move. Maybe they don't want to make. But I think this was the largest bank deal since 07, 08. Is that right? Mm -hmm. That was an interesting time, if you recall what happened in a year and a half after. I'm wondering, my question would be, did did deals like this happen at the beginning of something big or towards the late cycle? Or towards more of the late cycle? When there's nothing left to bring out. Well, when, look, it's no secret that, that net interest margins, NIMS for these banks, have been, have been getting squeezed tight. So scale matters. Um, and these are probably the two highest quality players in the regional banking universe. So um, I, to imply that this is a, and I don't think you're doing this, Guy, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question to ask. Um, I do think that banks right now are going through a, a painful period of also, you know, you've seen major inefficiencies um, from the overall market been taken away from them where they were able to price people. In other words, technology means they can't, they, they can't take the same amount of people. So bottom line, Citizens Financial, Huntington Bank shares, I think those are ones that are going to go higher. Plus, it has a lot to do with that $250 billion asset cap. So they, these, these two banks would have been there in three years on their own with the growth that they have now. So people want to or banks want to stay below the Fed's radar because you have that 250 uh, wide, wide berth on assets. That's why they merge because together they would have gotten there in a short amount of time as well. All right. Our next guest says there are two buying opportunities in the bank sector. Two. 
Let's go off the charts with Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com. Hey, Todd. Hey, Melissa. Uh, let's take a look, as Bob was mentioning on KRE, the regional banks versus XLF, the larger financials. There is our performance, as he mentioned. You could see that right here, relative performance of KRE to XLF. As this line is moving up, that means regionals are outperforming financials. However, financials as a whole are underperforming the broader market. We're seeing uh, the 210 yield curve, yield, yield spread, excuse me, up around 18, 19 basis points at kind of double topped up around 22, 23. So we're seeing a little bit of a flattening of that 210 spread, which is going to continue to pressure the financials. That being said here, as we take a look at the KRE, this purple line right here is the 200-day MA. We are below that. The broader market, different sectors are testing the 200-day. So again, we have underperformance in the banks. That being said, we might be able to trace a little bit of an inverse head and shoulders here. If there is going to be a little bit of a, a retest and we do push up, that would be great up around the 52, 53 mark and carry would be constructive, but there's a lot of wood to chop above. That being said, I do own a bank in my portfolio. I own Bank of America. It's best in breed in XLF. Same concept with Bank of America to XLF. Look at the ratio. Basically, bank divided into XLF as this line is going up. Bank is outperforming the, the financials. Same thing, 200-day, smack dab into it. We've been hanging around there for a while. We've backed off a little bit here in Bank of America. If we can <coughs> hold some support and, again, chop through the 200-day constructive. I own Bank of America. If we don't hold lower levels, which I'll show you on this next chart, that's all right, we're going to just talk about it. Right around the 26, 27 mark, there's a gap in Bank of America. If we close that gap and don't find a bid, I'm going to bail. As I said, financials are underperforming. A regional bank that's showing really, really good relative strength here is Zion. Same kind of uh, idea here with the ratio of KRE via Z-I-O-N. Zion is outperforming the regionals. We're coming up on that 200-day. If we can break above the 52 mark, get up through that, buy stops are going to go off. I think you might get a momentum play up in Zion. So that's best in breed of the regionals, which are outperforming financials. Um, you know, Todd, in, in Bob Pisani's outline of the financial sector overall, the XLF, he mentioned insurance companies underperforming, all the different components sort of adding to this underperformance. Which subsector do you see as the weakest or which one is... Within is, the financials? Yeah, within XLF overall. Sure. I mean, broker-dealers, I think, I mean, Goldman is, 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 is weighing on them significantly. As I said, the, as a whole, financials are, are really underperforming. Um, I would certainly look if the market does roll over and more of a short-term trader rather than a longer-term portfolio investor, I certainly would look to some of those weaker sectors. If we do get that roll off back below 2,700 in the S&P, I would look to be short some of those asset managers, some of the investment banks, Morgan, Goldman, uh, insurance, as you mentioned. But uh, regionals are strong, so I'd stay away from the short side there. All right, Todd, thank you. Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com. Um, Todd mentioned Bank of America. I looked over to Dan because I know you. Well, you know, I, I actually like think it. he makes a great point about the investment banks, about Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. This is the year that Uber, all these guys are going public. This is Morgan and Goldman's bread and butter, supposedly, right? And these stocks really out, are, 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 you know, underperform the broad market. I do not like the bounce off the lows in those names. So to me, I suspect you're going to see something very similar to we saw in 2018. They really led to the downside. They were the tell for a good part of the year. So first of all, banks have totally outperformed. Citibank is outperformed the S&P by, you know, almost 1,400 basis points. Um, that's not a reason to go buy Citibank right now. In fact, I would actually go buy J.P. Morgan relative to Citibank. J.P. Morgan has drastically underperformed the high beta money center banks, and it's the, the best of breed by far. If we're going through a choppy period, J.P. Morgan will outperform. And again, it's up 6% year to date um, with a balance sheet to me that is 
far and away best in breed. You know, you mentioned Zion, so let's talk about that quickly. I mean, it's been in a pretty well-defined downtrend, but that stock has gone from 38 or so to 50 in a straight line over the last probably two weeks, two and a half weeks. So I'm more inclined to sort of fade that move here than to try to buy the breakout. I think there'll be an opportunity to buy it again, but I think the opportunity will be lower. Do you think Zion Williamson is going to be playing for the Knicks next year? You know, I have a slogan for... Oh, sorry. It's just like you say, uh, anything that comes into your head. You realize we're on live TV? Absolute children. I forgot about that. What? I didn't... When you say children... Other people were thinking it. Sorry. Let's be clear. Still ahead, check out shares of Expedia soaring off its earnings report. We will tell you what was just said on the call that has the stock flying. Plus, from the attack on the buyback to new trade tax proposals, the Democrats have taken aim at Wall Street heading into 2020 elections. How could it impact your money? We'll have a special report when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Democrats are descending on Wall Street as they push a more populist agenda heading into the 2020 election. And the latest proposal from Capitol Hill could target trade directly, meaning trading directly. Let's go to Elon Moy in Washington, D.C. with more on this. Hey, Elon. Hey, Melissa. Well, there are a lot of trial balloons getting floated right now in Washington as Democrats try to find a message that sticks. The latest one comes from Brian Schatz. He is a Democratic senator from Hawaii, and he's reportedly floating a financial transaction tax. Now, there is not a lot of detail yet on exactly how this would work or what rate he would charge, but this isn't really a new idea. Both Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton actually proposed this during the 2016 presidential election. What I think is different this time is that this actually sounds a little bit tame compared to what some other prominent Democrats are talking about. Of course, there is the buyback bill that was introduced by uh, Bernie Sanders and Chuck Schumer. That would prohibit companies from buying back stock unless they provided seven days of paid sick leave, a $15 minimum wage, and health and retirement benefits. Also today, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a freshman congresswoman, AOC, she launched her Green New Deal. That would provide a guaranteed job for every American, health care for all, higher education for all. And she says that she wants to help pay for this with that 70 percent marginal tax rate on the wealthy. Now, today I asked her whether that would be enough to cover the cost of her proposals. And she said it doesn't have to. This is about making smart investments, um, and this is about making investments that actually generate returns and not lying about the fact that they generate returns. They actually generate returns. Melissa, the estimated price tag of her proposals before she laid them out was between $2 trillion and $6 trillion. Back over to you. Between 2 and $6 trillion. That's, that's uh, really well. All right, Elon, thank you. <laughs> Elon Moy in Washington. So is Wall Street really under attack and it is widely viewed that a lot of these proposals do not have a chance but this really tells you the temperature of washington when it comes to exactly the populist agenda here and the war on our capitalists, our, our you know, whole our cr- way of life, the whole capitalism of, and free of, markets. Of, of Democrats that are going to be running for presidential uh, for the presidency are outlefting each other, and I think they're doing themselves a disservice. So I don't think that any of these things have a chance at passing. These are all for them to get ready for 2020. That's the only thing that's going on here. They'll talk about the environment. They'll talk about guns. They'll talk about, but the only thing that that does have a chance, drug pricing. 
right. bipartisan. President mentioned it at the State of the Union the other night. That's one thing that both Republicans and Democrats will uh, combine <laughs> on. But the rest of the stuff, I truly believe, is just campaign slogans and everything else. The, 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 t- the financial transaction tax is interesting because when I saw that proposal or the report of the proposal, I immediately thought about China and how they usually levy this financial transaction tax in order to stop tr- to stop turnover of shares, yep. to prevent people from trading. Yep. And, 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 and that's going to be the, the side effect of that. Look, it, it, the, this is all, to me, <laughs> devastating uh, legislation potentially for markets um, and, and certainly for the stock market. I mean, look, the buyback bill, I, I can actually appreciate the fact that if companies are not able to fund their own retirement programs, um, why should they be buying back stock? Or companies that effectively are being handed uh, a tax cut, which is supposed to be at least doing something for their workers and not really doing anything for them. But, but much of what I just heard there, and this is not a political show, so no one no. wants to hear this out no. of me. I, I will just say, is market unfriendly? The reason the financials have rallied whatever they have is largely because I think the target was taken off their backs from the regulatory environment. So um, that, to me, is the most important fallout of this. It's interesting. Ten minutes ago, Bank of America just announced a $2.5 billion increase to their repurchase program. So BAC is saying, yeah, take that AOC, number <laughs> one. And I, I can understand what Tim is saying, but I'll say this. You know, if you, if you start with limiting banks' ability to buy, companies' ability to buy back their stock, when does that end? You, know, you have to allow companies to act. Now, you can say that it's, it's, they shouldn't be buying back stock. They should. But isn't that what we're all about here? I mean, that's what capitalism is. So if that's the way they think is the best way to use their money or spend their money, you have to allow I'm just them to saying that so. the market has, has gotten a major benefit. If you want to look at S&P EPS growth in 2019, it's all going to be coming from buybacks, if, if at all. Yeah, but, so but also, I think you framed the conversation pretty well. Like, there was a trillion and a half dollar track tax cut that was borrowed from the future. It was given to corporations. And there should have been some sort of quid pro quo about, you know, we heard Jamie Timon a couple weeks I, ago on the network talking about the sorts of oh, endeavors that they're trying to I do. Agree, but can you, after the fact, pass legislation that will force them to then use the same, All I'm saying is, I think Steve started the conversation correctly. This is a lot of political stuff gearing up for a presidential election, and if it starts the conversation about some really important issues, about family paid leave, about education for a wider, for health care, these sorts of things, Let's hope there's discussion, though. Right, but we could all agree yeah. that we don't think it should be uh, charged off on financial transactions or put yeah. the sort of limitations that take you down a slippery slope about what you can do in a capitalist society. Right, coming up, Expedia soaring after the company said it saw huge growth and its Airbnb rival HomeAway will bring you all the details, plus auto stocks spinning out after Fiat Chrysler spooked the street this morning. But one trader just bet nearly $2 million. One of those stocks is about to race higher. We will break it oh. down. A much more fast money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for you. Expedia soaring in the after hours, trading uh, earnings, trading on earnings report just moments ago. Let's get to Seema Modi at headquarters with the details. Seema. Hi, Melissa. Two big factors behind Expedia's rise. One, its bullish growth outlook for fiscal 2019, EBITDA growth of 10 to 15 percent. That is much higher than what the street was calling for, of around 11 to 12 percent. Second, it's the growth that it continues to see in its home away vacation rental platform on a year-to-year basis. 2018 revenue up about 29 percent, and the company spoke about how it continues to add to its inventory of properties so it can cater to a wider audience. However, CEO Mark Okostrom on the conference call was cautious about growth in Europe and the impact of Brexit. Listen in. We have seen a drop-off in UK flight bookings, uh, both outbound 
uh, as well as in, uh, inbound. Uh, we expect it's uncertainty around uh, around Brexit uh, and just overall uncertainty in Europe. So I think we're, you know, we are cautious on Europe. Though Okerstrom did say people do travel in an economic downturn, they just adjust their travel to shorter, maybe more budget-friendly trips. Shares of Expedia up about 8% in extended trade. Melissa? All right, Seema, thank you. Seema Modi at headquarters. Dan, you've been following the space. Uh, yeah, so I got this one very wrong in Friday's options action. For now, um, I proposed uh, looking out a couple months. I did not see this company having the visibility that they supposedly have now with the guidance that they just gave. Um, that being said, you know, Home Away, which is this business, that I have to think that Airbnb is taking a big chunk out of. They spent $4 billion to buy. It had its slowest year-over-year growth in many, many quarters. It's decelerating pretty good. You just heard the CEO talk about Europe. I'm just hard-pressed to think that if Brexit keeps going this way, we still have trade issues, we still have the weak data in Europe, that this company has the visibility that they say they do. So, so I'm not buying uh, it. Every time a company, because I would have agreed with you that I think Airbnb and I think these hotel, uh, these uh, resort rentals are going to take away from um, Expedia or the traditional hotels. resort hotels that we see, but you really don't see it. Wyndham Destinations, I guess that's a little bit of a play on it. You get uh, Marriott Vacations, so VAC, VAC, but a lot of these names are still have a lot, a lot of uh, juice behind them or tailwinds behind it, but I would use short stops on them. So really tie yourself to whatever the mo closest moving average. Wyndham, I believe, is, is close to its 200-day moving average. Use that as a way to exit because a lot of times if, the re if, if we start to look at recessions and slowing growth, these are the names that are going to get hit first. I, I like bookings, bookings in the space, formerly priced line.com. Easy for me to say. Bottom line is they're growing top line and, and nightly growth around 15%, 22 times forward earnings. Bookings. I think Dan might have just been early, of course, in our business early, as you know, is late. But that doesn't mean he's going to be wrong, because if you go back and look in August, the stock topped out at 138. Where are we trading now in the after hours, Dan? 138. I appreciate that. Trading right now at 45 times trailing, 20 times forward, probably a little bit expensive. I actually think you faded here at a buck 38. Coming up, General Motors up 15% this year, and one trader just bet nearly $2 million. The stock is about to go full throttle in the next few weeks. We've got the details. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Auto stocks hitting the skids after Fiat Chrysler spooked the street this morning with weak guidance. But one trader just bet nearly $2 million that one of those stocks is about to race higher. Dan is breaking down the options action. Yeah, real quickly, GM, it had a really nice rally off of its December lows, up 15% of the year. Today, uh, call volume was four times that of puts. And there was one large trade that caught my eye in March expiration. Um, a trader bought 25,000 of the March 40 calls to open for 67 cents when the stock was around $39. That breaks even up at 4067, a little more than 4% from the trading level in about six weeks or so. You're risking 1.7% of the stock price to make a bet the stock's back above 40. That seems pretty dollar cheap. And when you go and you look at the chart of implied volatility, the price of options, you see that they're trading very near the lower levels of the last six months here. Um, so vol cheap, dollar cheap. One quick point, look at the two-year chart of this thing. It's trading right in about the midpoint of the two-year range, around 
eight and a half here. This is one of those things that if you're kind of think we get some sort of uh, view on trade or some sort of deal, GM should be back about 40. That's a good way to play it with defined risk. Well, bottom line for GM is this is a company whose bread is buttered right here. We learned that in their earnings. We have fresh data on EM. They, they pushed guidance up to right in the middle of the range, 675, which makes this company 5.8 times forward earnings. It's ridiculously cheap. G. Yeah, I think you know where I stand, Melissa Lee. I am not, I'm a non-believer. Yeah, like, if I you know. recall the monkey song, Daydream Believer, well, I am I not a daydream song. believer. How does it go? And, want me to really sing that? Yeah. Good, good, my sleepy stop, dreams. Stop, please, please, just <laughs> stop. Oh, All right. That doesn't help me. Oh, man, that was brutal. From Mel, that's action, your fault, Melissa. I know, I, I asked. <laughs> Check out the full show tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern really Time. Awful. Up next, final trade. Look at that. Stop dying fallout from guys singing continues. Dogs are howling across the country. Guys sweating. It's amazing. Final trade, Tim. Yeah, I talked about J.P. Morgan. <laughs> Certainly is best in breed within the sector on a relative value against Citibank. I would be long J.P. Morgan against Citibank. Grasso. You know, Guy is actually a great singer, but Thank he had you, a very Steve. poor performance, yeah. so he had a bad day tonight. Bad West day. Rock, WRK, good risk-reward entry point. So diplomatic, Steve. Yeah, guys, if you didn't listen, you might have missed it. Tim said something really smart there. He wants to buy J.P. Morgan <laughs> against City. I think you sell City and have a ball if you want to go along with him and buy J.P. Do you want to give it another try? No, you, you don't want because I'm fighting something. Do it. No, oh, I, I, right. I feel better. Yeah, you know, we had a bad voice. We had a Fast Money karaoke <laughs> night years ago. We crushed it. Remember oh, yeah. that? I don't know about that. Duet. Anyway. Back it off. What's your final Twitter? Twitter. Comes out TWTR. That 10% move to the downside, Melissa Lee. It's too much. All right, Guy Dami. That does Rusty back here tomorrow at 5. More oh. fast. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.